This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation this week, although I know she wishes she was here today with the huge news out of Ottawa. Bill Morneau leaves the finance portfolio and Christian Freeland fills it. But there is much more to this story than the headline. And what a timely day for our strategy panelists to join Fight Back. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Toronto's Earnscliffe Strategy Group. And Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO at Variety Village. Welcome all. Hi, Jane. Hey, Jane. Hello, Jane. Everybody's well, safe, healthy? Very well. All well, thank you. Good, good. Well, let's start with reactions to last night's resignation as it was happening. Karen, do you want to start? Uh, Yeah, it it was, for me, I guess, a surprise, but not a surprise in that the rumblings that we've been hearing for over, you know, over a week and a half, we'd heard rumblings. And, uh, you know, you sort of don't know how seriously to take it. And then all of a sudden, there it is. And uh, Bill Morneau was resigning and leaving his seat and uh, taking a new job. And it, the, the, I guess the speed with which all those decisions were made, um, I guess, led me to conclude that those the rumors were you know, much more serious than even you know, we were thinking they were last week. Charles, what about you? Well, it's a significant occurrence for any government when you lose your Minister of Finance. Um, it's not unprecedented. I mean, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau lost John Turner, uh, Prime Minister Cretchen lost Paul Martin, Prime Minister Harper lost uh, Jim Flaherty, uh, you know, in circumstances where, frankly, uh, the relationship between the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance had become strained. Um, and and that's really goes to the relationship of, you know, the most important person in government, which is the Prime Minister, and the second most important person in government, which is traditionally the Minister of Finance. So there is an inherent tension there. I think it's been exacerbated by the pandemic and the crying need for faster, more centralized decision-making. And, you know, I I won't try to gild the lily. I I don't think uh, the We Charity situation and the trips that Minister Morneau took helped the situation any. I think that's probably the understatement of the year. Um, But what is interesting is that with the apparent or likely appointment of Christopher Freeland as Minister of Finance, not only will that be the first female uh, Canadian finance minister in history, but perhaps more to the point, it's an opportunity for the government to chart um, a new way forward as it begins to turn the corner from dealing with the immediate impacts of uh, the pandemic more into a frame of dealing with um, the economic recovery aspect. And even though circumstances aren't exactly ideal, this does offer the opportunity to hit the reset button. And so I suspect what we'll probably see next is prorogation, uh, a fairly lengthy cabinet retreat to look at big picture issues around um uh, economic recovery writ large, speech from the throne, and then either an economic statement or a budget in the fall. John, what about you? What was your reaction last evening? Uh, Pierre Paul hit the nail on the head when he said this is a government in chaos. Um, despite what Charles is trying to uh, portray, which is to say a reset and everything was fine and all that kind of stuff, this this is a huge issue for the government. I think that for me, it wasn't so much a surprise that Bill Morneau was going to resign. What was a surprise for me was what the message was going to be and how it was going to be done. I think that the the writing was on the wall over the last couple of weeks when we saw the PMO concertedly <clears throat> leak information and try to make the narrative that it was a policy difference between uh, or policy differences, um, you know, between the Minister of Finance and, and, and the Prime Minister. Um, the one thing that, that 
it is true is that finance ministers of past and prime ministers do clash. They're the two most powerful positions. Um, but a lot of them keep the clashes hidden uh, and quiet. And the prime minister is the one that always rules. And, and the fact that he has won on some of these policy uh, clashes isn't um, uh, isn't a, uh, a news for, for anybody, quite frankly. And and, and also, I, thought, I know I give Morneau credit if, in fact, that, that it was true that there was policy clashes. The fact that he didn't leak them over the course of the last number of years uh, is a tribute to him. But this was a result of the pressure that the prime minister was facing, the government was facing with respect to we. Um, Morneau, uh, we talked about on this show a number of times, was going to leave or was, was, you know, was the one that was the biggest challenge for them to leave. But I just thought that, you know, the, this issue of resigning because he was going to run uh, or campaign for the secretary general of OECD uh, was just bunk. You know, you, 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 no finance minister. And Charles mentioned there's finance ministers that have left their positions. But yeah, but they didn't leave them in the height of a of, of potential recession, a height of a pandemic, uh, when when Canadians need the minister of finance and the prime minister to be working closely uh, together. Um, it's just it's just not heard of, and I think that's what causes the, the chaos and, and creating the chaos within this government. I want to hear from you as well, our Zoomer radio listeners, what you think about this latest development. It is certainly juicy and the kind of news that you typically don't have in the middle of summer, in the dog days of summer, the finance minister stepping down, or do you? Is this a time when people are at their cottages and maybe not paying attention and it was the right time? What do you think was going on behind the scenes and how will it affect our pandemic financial recovery and the minority government at large? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We are talking about Bill Morneau out and Christian Freeland in for the full hour, which will include the ethics critics for both the NDP and the Conservatives later on. Our strategy panel is here now. Karen, I'd like to know what what you all think going behind the scenes, and you can go back as far as you want. Mm -hmm. What led to Bill Morneau resigning? Well, again, reading between the lines, I I think that it, um, it, I mean, and we've talked about this, I think, on our our other shows, Jane, the transition to politics wasn't an easy one for for Bill Morneau. And uh, there were some uh, great accomplishments that he achieved, but he was not, um, you know, there was also some things that didn't go well for him. And one was a small business tax that he tried to put forward that was a, um, there was significant blowback from constituencies from farmers to doctors to dentists to small business owners. And so that was a setback, of course. And then, you know, there was the villa in France, and then there was the, the trips that he took. And, you know, to, it it's, it was. It was. He was never a natural politician, and um, you know, I think that he, really the the reason that he was able to do his job is everyone thought he was competent, put his head down, got the job done. Um, and then there's rumblings that there's disagreements between him and Trudeau. And you know, if if the one thing that you're good at is putting your head down and getting the job done, and suddenly that's not uh, what you can do anymore either, then it does become a question of how well can you continue on in your role. And I don't for a minute believe that he had planned all along to run for this new position and give up his seat, because if that was the case, then why did he run in the last election? And of course, no one sees a pandemic coming. But to Charles's point and to John's point, this is the worst time ever to leave when the next challenge confronting the nation is going to be the economic challenge uh, once we get through the public health one. So, you know, I think that there was a lot of little things that led to this decision and I, I think it was a bit hasty, to be honest, um, from Bill Murnau's perspective, but I think it was also his, his chance to control the narrative to the degree that he was able, after reading in the newspaper that he was on the way out, he then, you know, moved into some kind of um, protection mode where he's going to now define how the story ends. But I do think it's unfortunate because it certainly didn't need to end this way. And uh, and I don't think it comes at a good time for the government or the country. Karen's right, Charles. I, I mean, in terms of financial challenges for a money person coming out of this pandemic, you would think this would be the, the challenge of his life. Why would he leave now? Well, I mean, so much of politics is timing. And, you know, if you think back to January 1st, it was really unthinkable that Minister Morneau would uh, find himself 
in this position um, less than eight months later. But again, you you know, notwithstanding the uh, you know his his villa in France, and I've been to John Capobianco's villa. In you want to talk about <laughs> I haven't. Me neither. <laughs> Um, so timing is critically important. Um, you know, obviously, um, when the revelations came out about uh, Minister Morneau's travel, uh, courtesy of the WE Charity, you know, that was one moment that a decision could have been taken that, you know, it, it really was time for him to, to depart as Minister of Finance. But politics is complicated. Uh, so much of it is dependent on reaction from the public. All of this has been happening over the summer months in almost slow motion, and all of it in the midst of a pandemic. And so why last night? Well, obviously, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen, you know, some pretty interesting stuff in the media, apparently leaked by uh, well-placed folks in the prime minister's office, not the most senior folks in the prime minister's office, but folks who uh, clearly had something of an agenda to establish that there were significant policy differences between the minister and the prime minister, differences that really hadn't come to light before, except in terms of, you know, uh, barstool chatter in Ottawa. Fabricated um, differences, and I think, Charles? I, I think the minister had to really look at his situation, and um, but I believe when he said this was, this was ultimately his decision, as much as the prime minister's office may have wanted him gone, and as much as they may have sort of paved the road for him to come to this conclusion... Um, I, I think it's it's worked out in a way that that's very interesting in terms of the future course of the government. And you know, in every crisis, there is an opportunity. And and right now, um, you know, all eyes are on Minister Freeland. I, I was asking Charles, but I'll ask uh, John about the differences. Were they fabricated differences, or did these two really go head to head over some of the issues? I mean, prior to we, it appeared that Trudeau and Morneau were in lockstep on a plan to help Canadians during and after COVID-19. I guess we'll never know really, Jane, you know, truly if there, what, what the differences were and, and, and if there were differences. I think it was certainly spun that way or leaked that there were differences. And I would imagine, quite frankly, having worked in uh, for four ministers in the past that, you know, there's always going to be some level of, of a healthy tension uh, with respect to that's what cabinet's about. You're supposed to go into cabinet uh, and, and discuss issues and, uh, and you know, debate them out and, and have the arguments and then come out, you know, speaking as one. Uh, and not to ever mention them again, you know, with respect to the differences. So, you know, were there differences? Probably. But the fact that there was a concerted effort to leak that, that, that information, the fact that they were leaking that Mark Carney was, was, a, was a paid advisor, um, you know, there was no question that it led, you know, Bill Marneau or any, any individual, quite frankly, to think, geez, you know, uh, I'm looking over my shoulders here. Uh, and I think, I think Karen mentioned this, that, and, and she was right about this, which is, you know, it allowed him to, to try to give his narrative. Um, but, but, you know, there was no question that the, the, the prime minister did not want to fire uh, Bill Marneau because it would have looked obviously too blatant that it was as a result of we. So doing this kind of campaign to undermine him and having him come to the prime minister to say, look, I want to resign. This is just not tenable anymore. Oh, and by the way, there's this position that if you want to run for, I'll be more than happy to support. It's just too cute by half. And I think that's the, the level of skepticism that, that's out there uh, and will be out there as Canadians start start to uh, start to uh, you know really understand what what just happened. So I, I just think it's bad news for for the government uh, from that perspective. Uh, and no one really buys that that he resigned on his own because he was he was he was not his time and that he was going to run for secretary general of of this international group. Who, by the way, uh, the prime minister has a track record of sending ministers that he doesn't like into international uh, international jobs. Uh, 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 what about what John is saying? I'll put that out to you. And, and I want you to get the phones ringing. Yesterday, we had endless calls over mask wearing because I know that's top of mind for each of us individually. But on the greater picture, this whole situation between Morneau and Trudeau and now Freeland in the mix, as a Canadian, do you feel like you've been manipulated with this message uh, between Trudeau and Morneau? Or can you see right through it as John 
is suggesting most Canadians do. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Let me ask you this then, Karen Stintz, Charles Bird, and John Capobianco, is this all about we charity? So in other words, if the we charity thing hadn't happened, would Bill Morneau and Justin Trudeau be sitting at a table together discussing policy right now? Yes. <laughs> Karen. Most likely. I, I think that the We Charity, if there was fissures that were existing, I think they could probably have been managed. But once the We Charity happened, then it, it, it just provided an opening. And um, if it was Trudeau that was unhappy, he took that opening. If it was Morneau that was unhappy, he took that opening. But no, I, I think that without the We scandal, they would have figured out how to paper over their differences for the sake of moving forward. John, you said yes right away. I did. And, and you know what? There's no reason to get rid of Bill Marleau. I think that if it wasn't for the Wee scandal, uh, because if, if it truly was over policy issues, so the prime minister has won on every single one of those policy disputes. So why would he want to change uh, or upset the apple cart? You know, when you change and shuffle a minister or, or have a minister of finances in particular step down or resign or, or get fired, it, it is a huge disruption. You know, that is a very exclusive club to be part of a G7 finance minister uh, position. And, and to do anything with that position causes international ramifications. So if it wasn't for we, I think they would have come, they would have had their, their relationship would have continued, and we would have been fighting COVID uh, as we have have been over the last number of months. And Charles, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, was was the we charity uh, situation a, a, a big contributing factor? Yes. Does Minister Morno wish he could have done things differently with regards to the trips he took? Uh, with regards to his daughter's employment, yes. But there's also realities with regard to um, Minister Morneau's relationship with the Prime Minister, with the Prime Minister's office, with regards to his colleagues, with regards to his caucus. It, it's been said, perhaps a bit uncharitably, uncharit- that Minister Morneau did not have the greatest of political touches. Um, that as a successful business person, he came into government with definite ideas as to what he wanted to go about doing in concert with the Prime Minister and the Cabinet. Did he spend much time building a base within the caucus of of MPs who were very fond of him? Uh, I'm not sure he did. Um, You know, did he maintain stellar relationships with all of his colleagues? Again, a bit of an open question. Now, it's difficult being Minister of Finance because, as Sean Cretchen described his time as Minister of Finance, it means you have to be Dr. No which is you're saying no to uh, the vast majority of requests that come through the door. Um, but did Bill Morneau have Jean Chrétien's inherent political touch and understanding of political dynamics? I think the clear answer is no. And at a time like this, that stuff actually matters. That stuff matters a lot, as I'm sure uh, Mr. Barrett and Mr. Angus will uh, will admit uh, with um, with uh, in their subsequent uh, interview. And, um, you know, so was it time to put the portfolio in a safer pair of hands? Yes. Who is the safest pair of hands in the government outside of the prime minister? Undoubtedly Minister Freeland. And so to an extent, they've taken a bad situation and they've done as best they can with it. This is our strategy panel on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Every Tuesday between 12 and 12.30, Charles Burr, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz weigh in on the strategies of the big news of the day. And it just so happens that they're here on the morning and the afternoon after Bill Morneau resigns suddenly. And at any moment, Christian Freeland will be sworn in by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. It's a big day. I'm riveted by the conversation. I know you are as well, but I'd like to get your opinion as a Canadian. How do you feel about all of this that has played out with the we charity, with the pandemic, with the financial situation that we're all in as a nation? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We will get to Krista Freeland here in just a moment, but just one, if I could get your reactions to, to one more thought from Pierre Poliev this morning. 
So he is the conservative finance critic. He said that Trudeau had to force Morneau out because once the ethics commissioner finds them both guilty of violating the Ethics Act for conflict of interest related to We Charity, then not only would he have to fire Morneau, he would have to resign himself. Karen, your reaction to that? Well, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that it's well been well reported that uh, Trudeau has a bit of a blind spot towards this. And there, so the, the findings of the ethics commissioner are not going to be a surprise to anybody. They both were in violation of the rules. And, you know, you could go in the granular details of, well, you know, this and that and the other. But, but the reality is, I think, by and large, the Canadian public believes that both of them broke the rules. And um, both of them shouldn't have done what they had done, which was to benefit personally from a charity that then received government grants. And so, you know, I, I don't think that's the case. And, and I don't think it's the case that it's a government in chaos either. I think it's um, it's a government that's going to be struggling uh, because I think that um, Minister Freeland, she just has too much on her plate, as Mr. Ford said, and that there's just not enough depth in that government uh, to do all the things that have to get done. And so that, that's, that's a bigger problem I see into the future uh, because, you know, that a, ju- a good justice minister was lost, then Jane Philpott was lost, and now Bill Morneau is lost. And um, there was some talent there that is not easily replaced. And, and she, Minister Freeland, just can't do it all. And, and Justin Trudeau can't do it all. So I, I see that's the bigger risk for the government right now. I, I was wondering about that too, John. Is Christian Freeland the right choice or the only choice? She may have well been the only choice, I think. Well, I shouldn't say the only choice. There was certainly a couple of others that were very worthy of and were mentioned. Um, uh, uh, Minister Champagne being one, Ducrow being another, who have all had some level of, of finance uh, experience in, in there. But obviously, you know, there's always somebody within government, much like Dan Mazakowski was that was the case in, in Brian Mulroney's um, era, where they become sort of the fix-it minister and, and they, they kind of get plugged into all, all issues. So I'm not surprised by it. I think that she'll she'll do well. And, and I don't think that position, you know, given what we've heard, I think it is a position being run out of the PMO, out of the prime minister's office, quite frankly. So so we'll see what, what comes out of it. But, you know, to, to your earlier question, Jane, with respect to Pierre Polovev and his indication that, that one of them had to go, so it might as well have been, have been you know, Bill Morneau now, if, if and when the ethics commissioner comes back with a ruling. There's some truth to that because, you know, to have both of them, you know, found guilty, if that's in fact what, what will come down, uh, is going to be a challenge. But now, uh, if Bill Morneau, uh, you know, gets, gets implicated in this or, or Justin Trudeau, you know, Bill's gone now. Bill Morneau's gone now. So, so you know, the prime minister can weather it a bit more, uh, cautiously and, and safely with, uh, with just him being the one that, that, um, comes down with the ruling if, if and when it does. Charles, you don't buy what Pierre Poliev is saying this morning? Well, I just don't take Pierre Poliev seriously. I mean, he, he he's just his rhetoric is so completely over the top. He's got one pitch in his arsenal, and that's fastball to the head. Frankly, I think uh, the Conservative MP, who's been the most effective critic of the government, is who you're about to interview, Michael Barrett. I think he's been far more balanced, more prosecutor, you know, more like a prosecutor in a courtroom situation, making a case as to where the government has gone wrong and not just resorting to, uh, you know, far-flung rhetoric. I'm, I'm really surprised because I, I thought Poilev had a little more political gravitas, but you begin to see why commentators were, were quite open in their assessment that he just didn't have what it take, took to run for the conservative leadership, and I think we've seen that in spades. The other thing I, I'd say with respect to, to John's comment with regards to Don Mazankowski is it's interesting that he did, under Brian Mulroney, hold the position of Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance. So that's, that's an important precedent because it, it sounds to me like Ms. Freeland will be both Minister of Finance and, and Deputy Prime Minister. Right, and I think that. intergovernmental affairs is going to Dominic LeBlanc. That's the talk. And Dominic yeah. is, uh, you want to talk about uh, a, a very highly skilled politician, that would be Dominic. And, you know, frankly, since the election of this government, with so many new faces dating back to 2015, um, political acumen has not always been 
um, you know, uh, something that was readily available to all ministers. And, you know, we've seen fallout from that. Um, Jody Wilson-Raybould being the, the best example. And, and some of that, I think, goes to the Prime Minister's office as well. I mean, it, you know, it is incumbent on the Prime Minister's office to try to manage these relationships as much as possible and not find yourself in the position which we find ourselves in today. But again, I mean, it's just a crazy Canadian COVID summer and so many wild cards out there in terms of, uh, you know, what's happening in the lives of ordinary Canadians and the changes we've seen and the impacts. So it, 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 that really makes it difficult to gauge the overall political impact of this. I mean, Bill Morneau packing it in really doesn't measure up to people worrying about what happens when their kids go back to school. In the right. Fall. And, you know, case in point, yesterday, the phones were ringing off the hook, to use a very old expression, uh, when we talked about masking and social distancing and fighting infections um, and those who are not observing it. And now, I mean, the conversation is great. So sometimes I think with talk radio, when it's a great conversation, people don't pick up the phone. But I think you're right. Like, on some level, people are more concerned Concerned about the the day to day minutia of staying safe, rather than this big picture controversy between Morneau and and Trudeau. Karen, what do you think? Is that is it resonating with Canadians? Yeah, I, I, th- I think it is a little side chatter. Yeah, I think to be fair and to Charles's point, I think that the um, the overwhelming concern for many Canadians, not all Canadians, of course, but for a number of people, is you know what is going to happen to the school situation. Because two weeks out, it seems like an intractable problem to solve. And, of course, it will get solved. Uh, but for, you know, for people that have kids going to school, that's a big issue. For people who are um, either unemployed or underemployed, there's a question of how do they get back to earning a living wage. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, the one benefit of this is that this issue is, you know, being talked about at the water cooler. But now it's done. It's over. Mm-hmm. There's no more question about what's going to happen to Morneau. We all know now. So it, that whatever distraction that served, I think it's now done, and and I think it was a bit of a distraction. Um, but you know, I think that there are still you know considerable issues that need to be addressed, and uh, you know, proging Parliament might be right for the Liberal Party. I'm not sure it's right for the the nation. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Karen. You can almost feel it as a morning news anchor. I could feel around 7, 7.30 this morning, okay, the narrative is now changing to what's next, as opposed to Bill Morneau resigning last night. Mm-hmm. So that gave him about a 12-hour news cycle on his resignation. Uh, and then everybody was talking about what's next. And, of course, CTV News broke the story about Christian Freeland. Uh, it was backed up soon thereafter by the Toronto Star. We're expecting her to be sworn in this afternoon as the new finance minister, the first woman finance minister, I might add. So let's talk about her accomplishments. Uh, Charles, can you do that for us? Well, academic, <laughs> intellectual, um, as I said earlier, the arguably the safest pair of hands in the Trudeau government. Um, Interestingly, her strengths have been really in her dealings with officials in the United States and with the provinces and the premiers. And for those that were listening to the news right at the top of the hour, um, Doug Ford was effusive in his praise of Christopher Freeland. And there's a great example of, of where two politicians from different jurisdictions, different levels of government, and different political parties um, have really formed a common cause, which I think has been sort of one of the underlying great things that that has worked so well for Canada in terms of combating the virus, which is the ability to look past partisan politics. Um, And so in terms of the Canada-U.S. stuff, in terms of her dealings with the provinces, I mean, those are the one-two punch of economic recovery. And so if she is going to become the lead minister with regards to economic recovery, she is uniquely well positioned to play to play that role for just that reason. She knows who the players are. She knows what the issues are. And she knows where we need to end up. And again, this goes to the notion that in crisis, there is opportunity. And this is a significant opportunity for the government moving forward with Christopher Freeland as Minister of Finance and as Deputy Prime Minister. Premier Doug Ford, as you mentioned, he's always been complimentary about Christian Freeland, particularly through this crisis, the, the COVID-19 crisis, and prior to that, the USMCA. 
Um, what do you think about that, John, in terms of what she'll bring to the role as Trudeau's right-hand person now? Well, I think it was certainly a safe choice for, for the prime minister. And I say safe only because of the fact that she, that Christia does have um, a pretty good reputation of, of getting things done. Um, you know, NAFTA, obviously, and, and the, the sort of the new U.S., uh, Canada, Mexico uh, trade agreement, I think, was, was a testament. And also, I thought after the, uh, after the election, when the prime minister put her in charge of intergovernmental affairs, uh, and working with uh, with the provinces, and of course, you know we've got some some conservative premiers out there that that are not easy uh, not easy to to deal with in, in some cases. And and she has been able to work with them and and to get Premier Kenny and Premier Ford in particular to say wonderful things about a, a liberal uh, minister is uh, is quite an accomplishment. And so I so I give a lot of credit for that. I think also the fact that uh, she becomes the first female. Uh, finance minister in Canada uh, also, I think, takes the story into a different way as well. Uh, so for a number of reasons, I think that Christie is a, a safe a safe call for, for the prime minister because it's not going to cause anyone to say, what was he thinking? Um, <clears throat> and also, it'll allow for, I think, somebody who's very loyal to the prime minister to continue on with the prime minister's handling of finances and, 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 and taxes. As Pierre Paulman said, you know, Christian Freeland is a friend of the, to tax increases and sees it as a religion. His quote, his uh, his words. Um, but so I do think it's a, it's an interesting and, and safe choice, and I don't think it's going to cause any any ripples at all. Uh, which I think is probably what the prime minister wanted to accomplish with it. As my fellow woman here on this discussion, what do you think about that, Karen? Uh, that Christian is the first woman finance minister in Canada. I, to be honest with you, I hadn't thought of it because it's just so shocking to think at this day and age that she's the first one. I mean, we're 2020. <laughs> it's, this is the year that we have the first female finance minister. That's just long overdue. Right. Long overdue. Now, Trudeau's making moves today to prorogue Parliament to begin fresh in October. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Karen? Yeah, you know, I, I understand, uh, you know, Charles's suggestion that it's a, a reset opportunity. But, you know, if if predictions are to be true and that they we expect a second wave to come in the fall, I wouldn't think now is the time for government to be probed. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that are still uncertain to the Canadian public around what's going to happen. And so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure this is the right time to, to not have Parliament sitting. Now, that being said, there's also an argument with what new programs could the government possibly be looking at because, you know, with with all the programs that are already existing, with all of the measures that we've taken, what more really can government do? That being said, I still think it is important that government be relevant and that there is a chance for the opposition and, and the government to, 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 to be there monitoring the situation in the face of so many unknowns. Charles, what do you think about that? A, a fresh start or does it leave Canadians feeling like they don't have any assistance for a while? Well, it's not a fresh start. It's an, it's an essential um, change of course. Uh, I, I said some weeks ago on this panel, or maybe even a couple months ago, that you know the center, which is the prime minister's office and the Department of Finance, were really, really focused on the short-term response to the pandemic in terms of getting money out the door through the CERB, through the Canadian. Uh, employee wage subsidy, emergency wage subsidy, um, really, really tricky stuff, that you, programs that generally take a year or more to design being put together in the matter of days and money going out the door. But the government made a very interesting um, decision at that time, which I referenced uh, some months ago, and that was that they charged individual departments um, to devote some time thinking about economic recovery with the notion that at some point when it was appropriate to do so, everyone would come together and, and try to figure out, okay, we're past, we're hopefully past the short-term implications of the pandemic, especially with regards to health impacts. And now we have to focus on economic recovery. And now is that time. That is exactly where the government is headed. That doesn't take away from the very real possibility that we could see spikes especially with kids going back to school, especially with a second wave in the fall. But um, this is the opportunity to, because every country in the world is going through this exercise, which is to say our economies, our people have been greatly impacted by the pandemic. 
And we are now having to figure out the best way forward to ensure that we have the best means of providing for our citizens in terms of jobs, in terms of income supplements, in terms of benefits, in terms of newer schools, better schools, what have you. With daycare, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And these are very real policy issues with very real differences between how liberals approach them, how conservatives who approach them, how the Green Party or the New Democrats approach them. So fascinating times ahead. And the final word on proroguing of Parliament until October to John Capobianco. I think it was certainly a smart play for the Liberals as far as, as, as far as again, trying to change the channel, uh, Jane, with respect to this issue. And, and proroguing does allow for them to go underground and, and uh, you know, and, and, and sort of reflect. And I think he's also talked about a, a cabinet or a um, cabinet retreat or a caucus retreat. Uh, I, I think as they war gamed this out, uh, you know, to say, okay, well, we want to get, you know, Morneau out of here. How do we, so do we, how do we get to the situation so that that we can do this at the least amount of damage. Uh, I think what they've done with, with respect to having him come out and, and sort of, you know, resign on his own accord uh, and then, you know, put in Chrystia Freeland the next day uh, and then potentially prorogue and then all this other stuff, I think all leads to the to the Liberals wanting to try to minimize any potential damage this might create. But I just think that all of that goes on the side because we're in a pandemic. This is not normal Canadian times when, you know, something like this could go unnoticed. Uh, people are watching the news. They're interested in this. And, and for them to be able to do all this under the watchful and anxious eye of Canadians, it's going to be interesting to see how that all evolves. Thank you all again for your Tuesday contributions. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Okay. Thanks, talk, Jane. talk to you next time. John Capobianco, Senior VP and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Toronto Office of Earnscliff Strategy Group, and Karen Stins, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. It's Jane Brown for Libby Snymer, who's on vacation this week. Let's get reaction now to Bill Morneau's resignation and the pending swearing-in of Christian Freeland as his replacement as finance minister from the opposition critics. Joining us first, the conservative ethics critic, MP for Grenville Thousand Islands and Rideau Lakes, Michael Barrett. Welcome to Fight Back. Thanks for having me on. So the conservatives got what you asked for. Bill Morneau has resigned. Are you happy well, about this? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I said last night that, um, you know, Justin Trudeau should follow Bill Morneau out the door. This is a, uh, th- the only solution uh, for this corrupt government is for, uh, is for a change of prime minister. Now, that's something that can be affected by the Liberal caucus in Ottawa. They can, uh, they can let the prime minister know that he no longer holds their confidence and and he can uh, and he can take a walk in the uh, the sand or the snow, and uh, and and that'll be great. Uh, but but just shuffling the deck chairs around isn't going to do it. Going from one hand-picked liberal to another isn't going to reassure Canadians that uh, that uh, they they've changed their scandal-plagued ways. Justin Trudeau and Bill Morneau have been in lockstep for five years. Uh, Justin Trudeau uh, looking to. Uh, you know, uh, cut off his hand, his right hand, uh, cauterize the bleeding, and try to save himself is is not what Canadians need. So they need a government that is focused on uh, the economy. They need a government that's focused on the health of Canadians, and this is a government that's only focused on its scandals. So, Michael, from what you're saying, you're okay with the Liberal minority government. You just want to see the Liberals eat Justin Trudeau and put in somebody else. Look, this weekend, the Conservatives are going to, uh, we're going to uh, elect a new leader. And uh, that's a great question for a new leader, a decision for them to make on the, on the path they want to chart. Now, up until this morning, uh, we were using the parliamentary tools that were available to us with respect to various parliamentary committees, as well as uh, referring the new revelations to various independent officers of parliament, like the Conflict of Interest and Ethics Commissioner, the Lobbying Commissioner. Um, the uh, the RCMP, uh, as well as to Elections Canada, for all of the revelations that have come forward and uh, potential for breaches of various laws to be investigated. But now we've heard, and I think you just had a panel on speaking about this, that the government wants to shut down all of those committees uh, by proroguing Parliament. And 
if if that is the the path that this government uh, is signaling they're going to go down, it's um it, it's the most blatant evidence that they could offer that this is a um, full of government attempts at a cover up. But Michael, why? Why distract uh, the government from what they need to focus on right now, which are the needs of Canadians during this financial recovery? Why not wait until the ethics commissioner makes a decision as to whether Justin Trudeau was in conflict of interest before calling for him to step down or for the other liberals to take away his position? This is a prime minister who's twice been found guilty of breaking this law. Uh, his finance minister, his former finance minister, Bill Morneau, has been found to have broken this law. Other members of his cabinet, the same. And if the opposition uh, took a break from holding the government to account just because we were in challenging times, uh, they'd, have a, they'd have a free pass to do as they will. And, uh, and when we have challenged the government on their pandemic response, when we've challenged them on uh, their lack of ethics, we see a response. We, we now have uh, removed a uh, we, we've seen the removal of a finance minister by the prime minister because uh, uh, through this process, through these committees, we uncovered that uh, Bill Morneau accepted forty one thousand dollars in illegal gifts from uh, from this organization that lobbies that lobbies his government. So, and so it, these these tough questions the opposition asks uh, that is incumbent on us to do so. And. The government should be uh, prepared to uh, to defend and to uh, uh, and and when necessary to make improvements to whatever actions they're taking in response to whatever uh, the government is seized with at that time. But uh, we can't give Justin Trudeau um, any more uh, any longer leash than he's currently on. Canadians Canadians yanked that leash in 2019, pulled back his majority to a minority, and. Uh, and we're going to use the uh, the uh, the power that Canadians gave the opposition, the official opposition, along with the other opposition parties. We we outnumber the government, and uh, we represent uh, the will of a majority of Canadians. And we're going to continue to uh, make sure that we get answers for Canadians because you know Justin Trudeau could uh, um, you know prorogue Parliament. He could also uh, pull the plug on this Parliament and call an election. And if he does that. All of the accountability, all of those mechanisms stop, and instead it turns into uh, an advertising uh, war, and uh, and the truth uh, might. I don't know if we lost Michael Barrett there. I know you're on uh, your mobile phone, hands free. So the SNC oh, Lavalin scandal. Okay, we so lost you for we, just a second. We need there. to. Uh, we need to push. Okay, but and I and I get what you're saying. I think it's important to ask the tough questions, but why not tend to parliamentary business and wait and see what the ethics commissioner says? I'm I'm trying to ask it in a different way. What if okay, sure. how about this? What if the ethics commissioner says that Justin Trudeau was not a viol- in violation of conflict of interest on the We Charity? Then what? Well, to your first question, why not tend to regular parliamentary business? The official opposition, Canada's Conservatives, called for Parliament to meet and continue its regular parliamentary business uh, in a modified fashion to accommodate for public health uh, guidelines on a go-forward basis. Instead, uh, the Liberals and the NDP suspended Parliament. Yeah, but so you go, we, you we guys. Look. But when you, when you do meet, you're not you're not going to be asking questions or raising concerns about the pandemic. You're going to be grilling him nonstop about the We Charity. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. That's that's a that's a fair comment. Well, it, 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 I guess there's a distinction that needs to be made here. When when we're meeting right now, the House of Commons isn't meeting. There's there's a special committee of the whole that meets. If the government had decided to continue to conduct its regular business, then we would have asked questions about its regular business. But instead, they shut down Parliament. And in, uh, uh, in, in light of that, we have now seen uh, all kinds of uh, scandals come to light, including contracts to former uh, Liberal MPs. We've seen uh, contracts for, for products that companies don't even make. We've we, we've seen all kinds of stuff that would make the sponsorship scandal uh, look like uh, misappropriation at a lemonade stand. And 
And we're going to ask those questions. Uh, we challenged this government as far back as January to start taking steps in response to a, a looming pandemic. We asked them about the emergency stockpile. We asked them about closing borders. We asked them, we asked them about their preparedness in January, February, and March. And they said nothing to see here. They didn't answer our question. So now that we, now that we're in a position where uh, a lot of that water is under the bridge. We're going to continue to challenge them and to get answers, some of which they're saying are, are secret. We can't tell you why we destroyed the emergency stockpile, uh, but we're going to keep challenging them. This is, this is just one of, of many things that the opposition is going to challenge the government on. Um, but unfortunately, it's, it's such a large scandal and it crosses so, uh, uh, it, it crosses uh, so many uh, committees' um, uh, mandates whether it's official languages because they gave a, a billion dollar contract to a company that couldn't deliver it in French or government operations to find out if procurement rules were followed or uh, the finance committee uh, or the ethics committee. And, and, and we're, we're going to press them on that. And uh, if, if the government uh, was focused on helping Canadians and not focused on helping their friends, they would have followed the rules dotted the I's, crossed the T's, and they wouldn't have found themselves in the scandal and they wouldn't have to answer tough questions. But when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And that's the situation that Justin Trudeau found himself in. Michael Barrett, I thank you for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Michael Barrett is the conservative ethics critic. Uh, he represents Leeds, Grenville, and Thousand Islands. We're getting reaction from the opposition critics. We had the conservative ethics critic on. Now we've got the NDP ethics critic with us here on Zoomer Radio. Charlie Angus, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on again. What your reaction to Bill Morneau stepping down? Did it, was it as crucial for the New Democrats as the Conservatives? Well, Bill Morneau uh, had to go for the high jump. Uh, this is about protecting the prime minister at this point. Um, I think the manner in which the Liberal government handled Bill Morneau's uh, ejection from um, the, the caucus, from cabinet, it, it was not the best. I mean, did they have to gossip him to death? The fact is, is that... You know, coming into June, the Prime Minister had so much support across the country because it looked like we were all on the same page working to ensure we got the emergency benefits out, trying to help small business. Then this weed debacle just blew everything up and questions immediately began to get asked about how did this scheme come about. And it tied up the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister into Deeply troubling ethical questions. The more we learned, the more troubling it got. There's two investigations underway. Someone had uh, to take the fall. That wasn't going to be the prime minister. So I think this is the prime minister now uh, in the midst of the biggest economic crisis in 100 years, tossing his finance minister overboard. What message that sends to international markets uh, remains to be seen. But this is about him trying to get out of yet another ethical scandal. Well, your leader, Jagmeet Singh, says the resignation comes when people need a steady and reliable government. So with that in mind, politics aside, what should happen next? Well, I, I think the issue is is that um, the WE scandal has really thrown off people's confidence. And, you know, as opposition, we've been trying to get answers as to how did the Kielberger brothers, who were so had weaved such a tight relationship with the Prime Minister, hiring his family, Bill Morneau, hiring Bill Morneau's family, flying Bill Morneau around the world. How did they get that billion-dollar deal? Because it's thrown off confidence that in the huge amount of spending that's needed to get us through COVID, that the right decisions are being made. We have to be able to tell Canadians uh, there will be unprecedented amounts of money being spent to get people through this. We've got to spend the money in the right manner, in an accountable manner, and that failed. So Bill Morneau had to go. Uh, I'd be very concerned the Prime Minister tries to prorogue, uh, to shut down the work of the committees at this time. I, I think he needs to, to take some responsibility for what happened here, and he's got to find a way to reassure Canadians that he has their best interests. And right now, it looks like they were helping their friends. Well, do you think that Christian Freeland is part of that solution? 
Well, it's interesting. Uh, Krista Friedland's become the, the solution for everything for Justin Trudeau. She's become the all-around go-fix-it person. But the problem was that the Prime Minister had, had reassured Canadians. I thought he'd done a very good job of being sort of steady as she goes. But this was such a dumb idea, the we scandal. I don't know if Krista Friedland would have gotten taken in by this uh, boondoggle. But the Prime Minister did. And her as Finance Minister... Um, they don't have a lot of bench strength, and it comes back, the problem keeps coming back to the Prime Minister. This, this is the third investigation. The last ethical crisis cost him two of the strongest women cabinet ministers. He lost the clerk of the Privy Council. He lost his credibility as the feminist Prime Minister. Now he's lost his finance minister in the midst of the biggest economic crisis in a century. Uh, it's about the judgment calls that the Prime Minister makes and his just his sense that the ethical laws don't apply to him, and it's hurt him, and it's hurt Canada. And what about from the opposition's point of view? What is the right move now, given what is going on with the government and Morneau stepping down and Freeland stepping in and the pandemic continuing and maybe a second wave? What should the focus be on in the coming months? Well, for the New Democrats, we're not... uh, uh, We want to stay focused on we have to get... Canadians through this fall and winter. This is going to be a very tough time uh, because we're not out of COVID. There's a lot of uncertainty with people going back to school. A lot of businesses that have begun to reopen are not in the most stable position. Uh, The first wave hit people very, very hard economically. So our focus is to say to the government, uh, you're in a minority, you have to work with someone. What are you going to do in terms of small business uh, on transitioning to serve for many people who don't have work to go back to. What are they going to have? How are we going to help small business at this time? What are we going to do on issues like childcare? Because I hear from many women who are very worried about going back to work because they don't have a plan in place for their children in areas with problems with schools. So we need the government focused at this time. So I don't think proroguing is a good idea. I think the prime minister needs to sit down and work with parliament and say, uh, how can we find a way to get back on track working together to get us through this, this coming fall and this coming winter? Should the prime minister have any confidence that he has the friendship of the new Democrats uh, to carry on in a minority situation with all that's going on in the backdrop? Well, we certainly want answers on we. So if he thinks that he can sweep that under the carpet, that's not going to happen. We're not in the business to be the prime minister's friend. But we are in the business to work for Canadians. And in a minority government, you work with people you don't necessarily agree with. But we have to put Canadians first. We're willing to do that. But we need the prime minister uh, to, you know, bring his A game and stop these dumb, unnecessary scandals where he's helping out his friends. We will leave it there. Charlie, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. The federal NDP ethics critic, Charlie Angus, MP for Timmins, James Bay. It's Jane for Libby. I'll be back with you again tomorrow. If you were listening and enjoying the conversations today on all that's gone on in Ottawa, but you do want to leave a comment even later in the day after you think about it, remember our fight back voicemail is always open. 416-367-9636. Have a great day. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.